Okay, again, uh, welcome everyone. And a big welcome to all of you here in person. And also a big welcome to all of you there on Zoom. And also a welcome to, uh, there's always some people that sometimes we upload these talks and there's recordings of them. And so if you're listening to the recording, a welcome to you as well. And just around that, uh, I just want to share it because it was so touching. Uh, probably a few days ago, last week, I received in the mail this long handwritten letter. And maybe most of you know how rare that is these days. And it was just a thank you letter around you know what's offered in these recordings. So uh, whoever sent that, uh, you'll know who you are. Thank you so much for that. <laughs> It was very touching and, and moving. So this uh, community here, Flagstaff Insight Meditation Community, it's rooted in this particular tradition called Insight Meditation, which you could say is a contemporary flowering of the Theravada Buddhist tradition. And I wanted to take some time just to ask the question and to hopefully respond to it of, what is meant by this word insight in this context? Like here we are, insight meditation. What's insight? What's it, it, how does it relate to what we're doing here? How does it fit into this path and this practice? So I'd like to share some reflections on this because I think it's important. It's, it's so much of what we're exploring, at least a part of the time. The word insight is it's 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 uh, the translation of a Pali word. Pali being the, one of the early scriptural languages of Buddhism, um, and that Pali word is vipassana, and vipassana is sometimes uh, translated as insight, but it can also be translated as uh, seeing clearly. So pasana comes from the verb pasati, and then the v is is translated differently. Sometimes it's the clearing, the the clarity in seeing or it could be seen through something or a special kind of seeing. I do want to acknowledge it's, it's a kind of an ableist language in terms of the variety of what it is to be a human being. And I think hopefully most of us know it's, it's not pointing to literally seeing, it's pointing to something much broader, which is perceiving. And uh, really uh, pointing to this process of shifting perception, allowing for a new way of perceiving experience. And uh, kind of the definition I want to work from is that that's what insight is. It's a process of shifting perception that brings uh, about freedom, freedom from stress or freedom from this, you know, the Pali word is dukkha, sometimes translated as suffering. I think in this context, this evening, I think stress is really helpful. So it's a way of how can I notice or perceive experience differently that then frees this heart and mind from, from stress. And the first thing I want to point out is it's insight is not having a thought. So it's not about thinking about something. It's about noticing in a different way. So I want to unpack this evening just this sentence of the definition insight, a process, it's a process of shifting perception that brings freedom, freedom from stress. And I wanna begin 
explaining this through an analogy. And uh, that analogy is it's like those magic eye images. And I'm realizing that not everybody knows this term magic eye. They're kind of these, uh, I guess, technically they're called audio stereograms. And I'll, I'll, uh, uh, I'll, uh, Melinda over there will, will bring up an image so you can get a get sense of what it is in just a minute. But let me just explain it. When she brings it up, you'll notice it's just a two-dimensional image and it kind of looks like wallpaper because there's a, a repetition of the image in a particular way. There's a repeating uh, pattern there in the image. So uh, Melinda, can you bring up that image? Just in, and Melinda's gonna share the screen so you can see what these uh, look like. They don't you know, look much of anything. They just look like this repeating pattern in, in, in some manner. So some of you might have seen an image like this. It's sometimes called a, a, a magic eye image. And the reason why it's called that is that it's easier to do, I find, with a book if you look at it in a particular way and allow your eyes to relax. What starts to happen is this three-dimensional image starts to pop out within that two-dimensional image. And that's why it's it's uh, uh, so many people become fascinated with it is because there's here's this weird two dimensional image and then what pops out is this three dimensional image. And in the next image, don't put that up quite yet, Melinda, is you're going to notice there's a different kind of image image where the three D image pops out from this two dimensional um, image because of motion rather than relaxing the eyes. So maybe if you could. Do the second image there. And do you see the second image? And can you see that there's a shark there? So it's in the two, it is second, the, 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 the two-dimensional image, but then it pops out. In a, in a kind of traditional magic eye image, what happens is you're just relaxing the eyes. It's not done by motion. This is popping it out through motion, but it, it pops out in a way. So thanks for that. So you can stop sharing the of the screen there. And I got this analogy th from the uh, teacher, Carol Wilson. Uh, I so appreciate her sharing this. I find this a great uh, analogy because here I have a particular way of perceiving this two-dimensional image. And then I relax the eyes and then another image pops out. There's a new way of perceiving. And this is what insight is. The only difference is, is that I don't think magic eyes lead to freedom from suffering. <laughs> I could be wrong, but I haven't experienced that. But the process is the same. I'm, I'm, I'm learning a way. That I love that it's connected with relaxation or ease. And then, then I, I have this new perception that, that brings about at least an insight, traditional insight, uh, uh, freedom. So what I want to point out around this is it's not a process of having the sense of, oh, I know there's a 3D image in that two-dimensional image, and I'm going to see if I'm, I can find it. Because once I start looking for it, my eyes are not going to be relaxed anymore, and it's not going to pop out and, and naturally emerge. So it's, I, I can't make it happen, but I can set up the conditions, relaxing the eyes, so that this new perception arises. And if you've ever played with these images, even if your, your eyes switch back to seeing the two-dimensional, just the two-dimensional image, you know that there's another way of perceiving. 
Like somebody, it would be impossible for somebody to come up to you and say, hey, you know what? That actually doesn't work. Because now you know that if you relax your eyes, there's this three-dimensional image that will pop out. So the other thing I want to point out about this analogy is that insight in terms of the way it's connected with this path, it's not some intellectual understanding. An intellectual understanding might arise out of it, but it's not that. It's more the shift in how I'm noticing experience, like in this analogy. So I want to give an example of this to now tie it into practice. When I began teaching, um, I felt scared sitting in front of a group of people. <laughs> and not only did I feel scared, I didn't like feeling scared while I was sitting in front of a group of people. <laughs> and I wanted to get rid of that experience of feeling scared. And this, this kind of narrative I just gave you was my habitual way of perceiving that experience. It was like this, the, the, the two-dimensional image there. I, I'm this person who feels scared while in front of a group of people, and I don't like it. I don't want to be that person. And then what I did is I started to bring this practice to this. And it's just this simple practice that we're doing of mindfulness while I'm meditating. And in meditation, or even out of meditation where I have a sense of mindfulness, I can begin to um, notice in just a little bit different way of just shifting perception. And what's that shift in perception around this? It's noticing, oh, interesting. Oh, fear is here. Oh, and fear feels like this. Oh, there are these unpleasant sensations that I feel in the body. I can feel the swirling in the stomach. Oh, and then there are thoughts that are coming and going that are arising out of this. And not only that, oh, interesting, there's a version to this experience. So I'm noticing the kind of the component parts of that experience. And I notice one, how they come and go. I also start to get a feeling sense how the aversion is making it a lot worse, right? <laughs> I'm in contention with the experience. And I'm also noticing what happens with mindfulness meditation is I don't need to take this personally. It's just something that's arising. These are the conditions that allow it to arise. And for those of you who are you know, more kind of tuned into these classical teachings, these are these three characteristics. Three's, the, the, it's impermanent. There's a kind of uh, unsatisfactoriness. There's a dukkha into it, especially when there's kind of a reactivity like aversion. And it's not me or mine. I don't need to take it personally. But this is all just uh, arising out of being mindful with a sense of cultivating okayness. And that's a different way of perceiving. And then uh, what starts to happen out of this very simple, different way of perceiving is I start to feel relief around this dynamic. Often what happened to me is first the aversion started to, to, to settle down, and then the fear and the being scared started to dissipate. So there was a freedom. There was a freedom from the stress that I was feeling. And I want to be really clear about the flavor of this relief and how it's coming about. 
Because another way that I can not feel the stress of being in front of a group of people is just avoid being in front of a group of people. And some of you have ever had social anxiety might know this, like, okay, I just feel social anxiety. I'm just not going to be in a social setting. And it works to a point. There's relief. But this is a different kind of relief. It's the relief of the diminishing of that dynamic, right? The avoidance, what happens is, yeah, it's not happening then, but the dynamic is still going to happen whenever you're in that situation. So this is insight that allows for the decrease of a dynamic, not just the temporary relief of not being in the situation. And this is what's what's super important. Even when you think about, um, I, th I think another great example, this is around addiction. Addiction actually works to a certain extent. And I'm, I'm being sincere about this because sometimes this is the appeal of something like alcohol. It's like, my system feels okay, but it doesn't get rid of the dynamic. It doesn't allow for a deep freedom. And this is really what insight is about. It's, it's, it's uh, making sure that I'm not as oppressed by such dynamics. And for me, these dynamics still might arise, but as I'm, I'm not as oppressed by them because of how insight is working. It's through mindfulness, I notice these dynamics, I start to unhook from it naturally. And it's just because I'm starting to perceive experience really just a small shift. It's like the small shift from the, the two dimension and within it, there's a three dimensionality. It's a very small shift around that. And there's a, a poem by Danusha Lomaris that's called uh, Improvement, where she, she gives up some poetic words to this small shift, just to, of how it can happen around thinking. I just want to share the ending of the poem because I think it, it gives a little bit different angle on this quality of insight. She says, so much goes downhill. Our joints wearing out with every mile. The delicate folds of the eardrum exhausted from years of listening. I'm grateful for the small victories. The way the heart still beats time in the cathedral of the ribs. And the mind, watching its parade of thoughts enter and leave, begins to see them for what they are. Jugglers, fire swallowers, acrobats, tossing their batons in the air. Do you hear that? small victory that, that I find can be so woven into meditation. It's, it's the small victory of the different way of perceiving thoughts. It's just these people that you'd see at a circus, these thoughts, right? There's the jugglers, there's the fire swallowers, there's the acrobats tossing the batons. They're not as real as I make them out to be and so solid. It's this kind of play that's going on. These, these, what I get from that kind of description, these thoughts aren't me, they're not mine, they're just coming and there's these, this sure show that's going on. And to have that perception, to me, feels like a small victory. It's an insight 
that brings freedom into my life, not to be as oppressed by thinking. Wow. There's another word that I think describes this process of insight that I, I also found helpful. And it's, uh, it's this process where my mind and heart become disenchanted with these particular dynamics. It's like I'm enchanted by them, but then I see what's going on and it becomes disenchanted. Like, for example, at first, my heart and my mind, they were enchanted. They were mesmerized by this dynamic of feeling and thinking that it's a threat, a big threat to be in front of a group of people. It was enchanted by that story and it was mesmerized by it. And then with practice, by just doing that small shift of noticing these various components arising and passing away, the fear, the aversion, the sensations, with a sense of okayness, it's not me, it's not mine, I become disenchanted with it. It's like, I, first of all, I don't have to fight the fear. I can just feel the fear. That's one part of it. And then through that, it's like, yeah, this, this I don't have to be mesmerized by this. I'm, I'm, I'm not fooled by the jugglers and the acrobats anymore. So I'm stepping out of the dynamic in some way. And this is something that also is happening naturally with insight as I get clear about what's really serving me and what's not, but it's not like I'm intellectually deciding it. It's more of a bodily thing. You know, the, the, the singer Nina uh, Simone, she once sang, you've got to learn to leave the table when love's no longer being served. Oh, that's, that's the process of disenchantment <laughs> on a lot of different levels. And there's something in me that feels like maybe I'll get some love through being scared. And there's maybe some wisdom, wisdom in that, like sometimes being scared, it protects me. So I, I, maybe there is some love at the table, but it's not for me. It hasn't been around just when I'm in a, a, a large group offering something. Right. I'm not feeling supported. I'm not, I'm not, feeling nourished from that being afraid of being scared in that way. I'm not feeling the love. So I need to leave the table. Hopefully you can hear how this example, you know, it could apply, apply to many other examples, like the example of maybe the dynamic of irritation in your life or the dynamic of doubt or other anxieties or fears, or the dynamic of addiction. It's really often the same, same process is going on. And sometimes bringing this quality of mindfulness allows for there to be an insight so disenchantment can happen. Just all these different ways that, at least what I notice, my mind complicates a situation more than it needs to be. It's the complication that I wanna really notice. I want to be super clear about this process of insight is in this approach, I'm not trying to fix anything or I'm not trying to figure out anything. Even when I was saying, oh, it's just fear that's arising. And then I'm feeling the sensations that are unpleasant. Oh, and then there's thoughts that go with it. And then there's aversion. 
just saying that is in a sense misleading because it might sound like that I'm thinking through what's there. Rather, it's just being present with it. It's like feeling into experience the way we learn in meditation in a way that there starts to be clarity. So sometimes it is helpful to kind of make these distinctions. Oh, here's the sensation. Here's the emotion. Here are the thoughts. Oh, there's aversion. But a lot of it is a felt sense of what it feels like to be mindful. Because what also I'm bringing into that is not only mindfulness, the noticing, but there's some patience. There's some okayness. There's a kind of tenderness and softness of the heart. So it's more what we're we're getting a sense of is more the the felt sense of it. So it's it's for me, it's more feels like more what it feels like how to uh, learn to ride a bike. Like it's so interesting that my body learned how to ride a bike. And if I really worked at it, I could find the language to describe to you how I did that. But really, I have no idea how to put it in language right now. And it's the same thing here. I'm giving language to the process of insight, but it's more like learning how to ride a bike. And it's like, oh, wow, I start to get a feeling of this. Oh, that anxiety that I had around this or that or that irritation. Oh, now with meditating, I can notice how there's a sense that I have a different way of perceiving it that allows for a letting go, a, a, a freedom from, uh, uh, from the, the stress that comes. And it's even the case around kind of these classical teachings around impermanence and the unreliability of experience, and especially around the not self. Like I, I've noticed a lot of practitioners who are just practicing mindfulness, the way we talk about it, really gaining some uh, skill in that. And then the repetition of that and the way they describe the kind of the release from that is that they're not taking experience personally anymore. But they wouldn't, some of these practitioners have no idea of this notion of not self, but they've actually embodied it in some way. They're not taking experiences personally. And that's what's important is more the felt sense of what I'm pointing to. So again, this is not thinking about all this stuff. It is important to come into contact with these teachings so they kind of get imbibed. It's not an intellectual process. For me, it's more of a felt sense. It's like the more I meditate, the more I get a feeling sense of how insight unfolds in this particular way. And for me to get a sense of this, this means there needs to be repetition, with, especially with meditation, again and again and again. Learning the skill of meditation, really learning some of these skills that we go over. And also trusting the process. For me to repeatedly do it, I need to trust the process at first. So this is the process of insight meditation. There's a, a slight shift in how I'm perceiving experience, just a slight shift that comes with mindfulness that we're learning. And from that, it brings a kind of freedom from stress, from the dynamic of stress. It's not just avoiding the dynamic. I also want to point out, even though this tradition that we're in is called insight meditation, it's so much broader than that. It's broader than just insight. So it's important not to universalize insight of this process that I'm, I'm just sharing. Because what I've noticed is sometimes I need other approaches that I learn from this path 
that support this process of freedom. And the fascinating thing to me about the Buddha is that he points to these other processes, these other approaches, and how these can interweave insight meditation or insight with these other approaches. So I want to give an example of that. So let's take the example of self-judgment. You know, here I am, I'm feeling oppressed by these thoughts of and feelings of self-judgment. And, you know, sometimes the way that I've noticed in myself in the past and other people, sometimes a way of um, attempting to avoid kind of really working through this uh, uh, dynamic is this habitual and chronic kind of desperate need from reassurance from others. So it's like, I feel so bad about myself that I'm going to really see if I can get reassured by others in kind of this chronic, desperate way. Like I'm really wanting them to reassure me that I'm okay. Maybe some of you can relate to this, I hope. And there is, there's this one approach that I just went through where I can bring mindfulness to it. And it's the same thing. I notice the thought arrives. Oh, judge. Oh, here's judging. It's just a thought. Here it is. There's sensations that go with it. There's thoughts, of course, that go with it. I can start to seal the pull, the kind of obsessive pull of like, where can I find reassurance outside of myself? Oh, and then there's the aversion. I don't like it. I want this to stop. And I'm, I'm doing the same thing. I'm noticing these different aspects of experience, how they come and go, how there's a kind of stress to it when I'm fighting it, that I don't have to take it personally. And there's a sense of okayness that I can bring to that, a tenderness of heart. And then it begins to unravel in this, this, this uh, kind of felt sense way. And then there can be a relief around this dynamic. So that's one way. That's the process of insight. And there are other approaches that I found so helpful in this realm that even might sound the opposite of, of uh, insight. You could say they're stabilizing practices. And one of them we did just at the very end for our, our meditation, which is this practice of practicing loving kindness towards myself. So I'm learning how to love myself. That has been really helpful for me. It stabilizes my heart and mind. And we can do that through loving kindness to love myself or self-compassion is another place where I found it really helpful. Or this other practice that I think I've talked a little bit about on Monday nights, which is sila nusati, which is, you could say, this, this recollection of the good things that I'm doing. So I can say, you know, I, I'm a good person and it feels really good. I'm really learning how to love myself and see the beauty here. Or samadhi, this way of having ease and relaxation and allowing the mind to stabilize and collect. It brings stability to this heart and mind. So I, I don't it get as overwhelmed actually by the waves of self-judgment. It's stabilizing. And then, which is probably a, one of the bigger things that we're uh, uh, of this practice is community and friendship. Finding people in my life that are kind to me and do reassure me of myself. There is a place for that. I think sometimes there can be such an extreme of like, oh, I shouldn't be doing that. But it's helpful. And having 
the right amount of that sometimes can help cut down around the obsessiveness. Because what the problem is the obsessiveness around it rather than getting reinsured. That also stabilizes my heart and mind when I'm in a community where people can reflect back to me, you're a good person. So both of these are important, stabilizing and insight. And I think one way of understanding how they work is that insight allows me to understand that the dream is just a dream. And what I mean by that is I got caught up, for example, when I'm in front of a group of people, that it's deeply threatening, right? But that's just a dream. It's not as real as I think it is. And once I notice that it's a dream, it's just this arising that I don't have to take personally. Wow, that is deeply relieving. And to notice experiences just a dream and I'm making it more real than it is, is sometimes at the heart of insight because there's so many different layers. That's a different talk. The dream is just a dream and to notice that. And it's just saying that it's not as real as I, I think it is. It's still there. A dream is still there. It's just not as real. And then the stabilizing aspect around this that I went over, the loving kindness and being reassured by others, self-compassion, feeling good about myself, it's making sure the dream doesn't become a nightmare. And this is really important because it's harder to notice that the dream is just a dream if it's a nightmare. So if I can take care of the dream so that I actually there's some love for myself, there's some stability in the dream world, it's from there that that's a jumping off of really seeing these deeper stages of insight. But these are interwoven. The dream's just a dream. And another part of the practice is it's really helpful, at least in my life, to make sure as best as I can, I don't have complete control over it, that the dream doesn't become a nightmare in terms of this inner world, at least. So hopefully you're hearing how this process of insight, it offers freedom from these unhelpful habits of mind. And when I get free of these unhelpful or unskillful habits of mind, it also uh, it, 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 it opens up a different relationship to myself and a different relationship to others. So I just want to share one more poem that I think exemplifies this turn in perception that we're looking for around insight and how it also impacts my relationship with others. And it's a, a poem called Phone Call. love the beginning of this. He says, maybe I overdid it when I called my father an enemy of humanity. <laughs> that might have been a little strongly put, a, a slight exaggeration, <laughs> an immoderate description of the person who at the moment, 2,000 miles away, holding the telephone receiver six inches from his ear, must have regretted pain for my therapy. <laughs> what I meant was that my father was an, an enemy of my humanity. 
And what I meant behind that was that my father was split into two people, one of them living deep inside of me like a bad king or an incurable disease, blighting my crops, striking down my herds, poisoning my wells. The other standing in another time zone in a kitchen in Wyoming with bad knees and white hair sprouting from his ears. I, I don't want to scream forever. I don't want to live without proportion like some kind of infection from the past. So I have to remember the second father, the one whose TV dinner is getting cold while he holds the phone in his left hand and stares blankly out the window where just now the sun is going down and the last fingertips of sunlight are withdrawing from the hills they once touched like a child. Do you hear the turn in perception? And do you hear the quality of insight? There's the habitual perception. Oh, he's a he's a he's an enemy of humanity. That's the dream that's become more real than it really is. And then it's the recognition, right? This is just a dream. This is this is this father's in here. This is the story that's in here. And then there's the second father that then becomes easier to touch, easier to connect to, because the dream is seen to be just a dream. And then there's that other father, a human being who's vulnerable and old. And there. Are you hearing how insight works? It works on this heart, and then it works on the relationships I have with others. So may our exploration of this path that leads to insight uh, lead to the liberation of all beings. Thank you. Thank you for your attention. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.